This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. Today our guest is Stephen Yanok. He is an Extension Program Specialist in Texas, particularly in Colorado County. He's going to talk to us today about his start in ag, his start as an Extension agent, and also a booming industry in Texas, which is the olive industry. And it's super cool. He talks about that the olive trees in Texas date back to when Spanish missions started in the state, which is super crazy. Hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, Stephen Yanak. How are you? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? Doing well. Now you're hailing from the great state of Texas. That's right. Yes, sir. Nice. Now, my wife and I, we went out to Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and Waco, I think in February of this year, a few weeks ago. And it was our first time in Texas. And man, it was a blast. Texas is a very diverse state in terms of people, in terms of climate incredibly diverse especially in climate but also in, in people and our and our resources as well so you're an extension program specialist with texas a&m tell us how you got your start in ag i've been in agriculture for 28 years and and that's how old i am you know our family has a history of farming uh, when my ancestors settled here uh, right in this area that i'm living in you know they they were subsistence farmers and then as time went on they were more cash crop farmers and then um my dad was the first to go to, to go to college, and so he went to Texas A&M, studied animal science, and he was an extension agent, a uh, county extension agent for agriculture uh, for 34 years in Texas, and just retired, oh, seven, eight years ago. And of course, living with him, being his son, I was one of three boys. Uh, we lived on 22 acres in Victoria, Texas, uh, which is southeast. Uh, we're about 60 miles from the coast. Um, you know, we didn't, my, my parents didn't have a lot of money, and so uh, we did a lot of our own kind of subsistence farming, 
And at the same time, he was teaching me how to garden, how to grow hay, how to raise cattle. And so part of that was was to feed ourselves with the garden and the fruit trees around the house, but also was to teach me and then for myself and my brothers to make some money for ourselves. So the entire time uh, from eight years old to about 17 years old, uh, through the 4-H program, we raised vegetables and fruit at the house, and we would take it to the Victoria Farmer's Market and sell it. And over the years, through that and other 4-H projects, I was able to to make myself enough money to buy my first truck. Of course, a used truck, but I was able to pay for it up front. So I've, I've been in it, been surrounded by it all my life. When I was younger, people would ask if I would be an extension agent like my dad, and I always thought, no, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to teach, or I liked mechanics. Uh, but I ended up going to Texas A&M myself, uh, studied renewable natural resources, which ended up being a great uh, broad study, uh, field of study, and uh, worked at a ranch for a while and ended up <laughs> ended up somebody uh, suggested I be an extension agent. And um, that's kind of the, the short story of my previous life. You, you're a program specialist now, and you used to be just an extension agent. What were your duties being an extension agent in Texas? Well, you know, the, the mission of extension is, is pretty much the same throughout the country. Uh, but the way extension is run in each state is a little bit different. So my job was I was the agriculture agent for Colorado County, uh, again, uh, which is where I still live now. It's uh, well, if you drove from Austin to Houston when you were here, you drove right through my county and you drove right through our county seat of Columbus. Uh, so I was the the person for agriculture and natural resource questions and, and help and suggestions for the county you know and of course i guess maybe our we put a little more priority or a little more work into helping you know our our big thing was helping farmers and ranchers originally that's why we were established why the extension service was established was to help farmers and ranchers and bring them to be that connection between the farm and the university you know uh, the land-grant university system was established and that was a great because we were doing agriculture research but you got to think back in the 1800s or 1700s, the farm that was, and of course in Texas, could be 600 miles away from the university. It was hard to get that new research to the farmer. Um, and then beyond that, it was sometimes difficult for the farmer to accept what the university was saying because he had not done it or he had not seen it done. He was hearing it from some professor or researcher that came from the university. So your job as a county extension agent is to be that connection, not only to be the connection to, to you know, bring that new research or to, to bring unbiased and science-based agriculture information to the farmer and to the landowner, but to interpret that information in a way that the farmer can understand or that the common landowner can understand, you know, to break down that scientific study and explain it in a way that that has real life implications on that piece of ground or for that crop. Um, so in Colorado County, I mean, he talked about diversity. It was a it was a whirlwind. You know, I did everything from rice to row crops like cotton, corn, and soybeans. We are large uh, beef cattle op county, calf cow calf operations mostly. Of course, a few registered operations here and there. A couple of dairies still hanging on. Um, horticulture, we had cut flower operations, we have some greenhouse operations, and then homeowners were a big part of the job 
I would say here kind of recently. And I think the big influence on that for my county was being right in between Houston and San Antonio. We're at this time in our society now where the baby boomers are starting to retire. And so they're all moving out of Houston and Austin, coming back to mom and dad's old place, or they bought a little place in the country. And, you know, they're coming from the big city and they may be one, two or three or more generations removed from the farm. And they want to know, how do I uh, run cows on this property? Or how do I manage the brush on this property? Or, or how do I raise bees? Or what's wrong with this shade tree? Or <laughs> so on and so forth. So um, the job as a, as a county extension agent for agriculture is, is broad. You have to know everything from turf grass to rice to beef cattle, honeybees, flowers, pond management, water quality, uh, horticulture, so on and so forth. Yeah, extension agents definitely have, I mean, they wear many, many hats. And I mean, you mentioned that Texas has a very diverse ag basis in terms of uh, just a variety of items that they grow. I mean, most people the, people in the ag industry know that Texas is more than just cows, but most <laughs> just regular consumers are like, oh, it's a Longhorn state. They got more cows than people. But in, in Colorado County, did you guys have any, I guess, any hidden gems of varieties of crops that you guys had that really only people in Colorado County knew about was very successful there? Of course you had to have a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of neat and interesting things going on in the county. Uh, like I said, a couple of cut flower operations, and that's not, not necessarily unique or a gem, but there's just not many of those going on. And these operations that I'm talking about are small. You know, they're family operations, five and 10 acres. Uh, a couple of family dairies that are still running. Uh, those are kind of neat because dairies are having a hard time now. And, and there used to be hundreds of dairies in this area. And I forget what the story is, but of course, they've mostly gone by the wayside. A couple of fish farms, actually, where they raise catfish or bait fish for people to stock in their you know, stock ponds or their little tank behind the house for the grandkids to fish in. Um, a couple of olive orchards, <laughs> which, of course, I, I'm working more uh, closely with right now. Can't really come up with anything else uh, right off the top of my head right now. Let, let's move into olives. So you said in 2018 you moved over to an extension program specialist with Texas A&M, and you said you're focusing on a lot of the olive industry in Texas. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, about the olive industry or about what I'm doing? A little bit of both. Well, I realize I've only been doing this since, since August, so it's kind of been trial by fire, drinking from a fire hose, however you want to put that. But I've been learning and absorbing as fast and as much as I can. So uh, really, commercial olives in Texas got started about 20 years ago, uh, about 1998. Some folks uh, kind of started to realize. And again, to me, this, this 1998 kind of coincides with the very beginning of some of these baby boomers retiring. And in fact, that's who kind of started this whole thing. Uh, with somebody retiring and looking for a hobby or looking for a small side income, you know, they traveled to Italy, they traveled to Spain and they saw olive production. They said, Hey, this looks like Texas. We could, we could grow olives in Texas. And so they started doing some research and it turns out, uh, there's a couple of places where olives had already been planted. You know, when the Spaniards came over and established their missions, a lot of them planted olive trees because that's what they were used to. Uh, and a lot of those did not survive, but there were a couple 
down towards the Winter Garden area, which is the southwestern side of the state, uh, that's that we're still surviving. And in fact, we're fruiting or producing fruit in most years. Uh, they also found a couple of trees towards Galveston, which is on the coast in the eastern side of the state that were uh, fairly old trees that were also producing fruit. And so they said, well, we're going to plant olives and, you know, California's doing it. We'll learn from them and we'll create, you know, a new Texas uh, cash crop. And they were kind of uh, inspired by the Texas wine industry. You know, the wine industry or grape industry in Texas kind of followed the same path, uh, taking notes from California and slowly, painfully growing. And and today they're pretty nice, booming industry for Texas. Uh, So there were some really early efforts in olives to grow up around Dallas and up north of Austin and really kind of all over the state. And there was lots of failures. There was lots of hardship, Um, mostly just just because of... uh, not getting the best information or relying on information from California, from Spain or from Italy. And if you've lived and gardened or, or farmed in Texas long enough, you'll realize that a lot of those management practices and things that uh, happen and that you do in these other states and other countries does not equate to Texas. Uh, not fully, at least we have, you know, that they thought with, with olives, they're growing a Mediterranean climate. Well, we're right here by the coast, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, that's going to moderate our temperature somewhat. And perhaps there is to some degree, but Texas still has a continental climate. And so the big issue that they found with olives early on is that we can start to get pretty warm during December, January, and February. When these trees are supposed to be dormant, we'll get up to 80 degrees. And once you get above about 72 to 75 degrees, the trees start to wake up. They start to move sap up into the canopy. Our problem is we may drop to 15 degrees overnight. And so this is what, you know, that that fresh sap that's moved up, it will freeze. Not only will it defoliate the tree, but it can split the wood, split the bark of the tree. Um, And a lot of times these newer plantings, the, the small trees completely died back to the ground and never came back. And so in my travels, uh, visiting these different orchards, it's a, it's a consistent story that, well, we planted in, you know, 2013 and then we had to replant in 2014 and we had to replant in 2015. And finally the trees survived enough years, got big enough to survive, uh, kind of our typical freezes. So, uh, it's been a rough history with olives in Texas and, and, and Texas A&M has kind of given ourselves a black eye with, with the olive industry because back in the eighties, when people kind of started to look at olives, we did some real early uh, computer modeling of climate data. And this is researchers at, at college station at the university that did this. And they looked at climate for several different areas around the state that might be similar to production regions in California or, or overseas. And they compared our climates and they said, well, this looks really iffy. You know, they said basically, well, maybe five to seven out of every 10 years, you're going to have a significant freeze event that will either kill trees or hamper production or or fruit set. 
And so we kind of went around, or not we, but the, the guys before me kind of went around saying, yeah, it, this is pretty iffy, and we doubt that it's going to be a commercial cash crop. You should you know, approach it with caution. And a lot of people took that to mean that well, you just can't do it. And so in a way that inspired some, they said, well, they said we can't do it. I'm going to try it anyways. And so a lot of those folks did it, and through struggle and strife, uh, they started growing fruit, olive fruit and pressing oil and and the oil that comes from here is is fantastic um i know there's fantastic oil from other places but it's something about you know texas pride uh now that we're producing oil some of it that we're producing is is really good is there anything that the olive industry is doing in particular to try to market it because this is the first time i've heard about olives being grown in texas yes uh, to answer your question yes there is something being done um several producers are have actually introduced a bill into legislature during this session that would form an olive uh, advisory board, a state olive advisory board made up of growers, industry people, and some some university folks. And that the purpose of the board would be to promote not only research on olive production in Texas, but also to, to, to market the product. Uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture has a good program called Go Texan. It's a label that you're allowed to put on products if they are produced and made in Texas. Um, and so some of the producers have been utilizing the Go Texan program to sell their and market their products as a you know a locally farmed and produced commodity or product. However, just like the wine industry, there's some, and I don't know how to say this, but there were some untruths. Uh, you know, people bringing in wine or oil from other states or from other countries, maybe perhaps blending it with Texas oil and and selling it as a true 100% Texas product. So it's very small, but but they are making moves to try and promote their product. You know, one of my jobs as the extension program specialist is to try to nail down the number of acres of olives in Texas. And since we're so early and a lot of the farms are so small, uh, finding those numbers is not easy. So if you wanted to find acres of corn grown in Texas, you can easily go to USDA or the Farm Service Agency, and they've got database of all all the acres planted and harvested every year. Well, there there are no numbers like that for Texas, or there's some, but those numbers uh, so far is only 700 acres. I myself have found a little over a thousand acres, and some of the other People that do orchard, orchard installation and orchard management, they claim to know about 4,000 acres in the state. So compared to other things, like I'm going to pull, I think, peaches from my memory, we have about 20,000 acres. So even compared to something small in Texas like peaches, the olive acreage in Texas is very small um, comparatively. However, I do see... a, a a pretty darn good potential for olives in certain areas of the state once we do a little more research and have a little better understanding. What would you say would be, you think there's like a time frame as when you think olives could really take off in, in Texas? I think the starting point is now. Maybe I'm biased because I just got <laughs> into it, but um, from what I understand of the history and and from what I understand, what I hear from the people who do lots of orchard installations, it has really taken off. You know, 
some of these early orchards, once they've had success, they get a little bit of media attention. Well, then somebody sees that or, or 10 people see that and they put in their own orchards and they have success and 10 people see each one of those and so on and so forth. Um, so I think it's really growing. And I think as as we develop a better understanding, uh, we being extension and, and growers as well, um, and as we're able to provide better guidance and education to prospective and future growers uh, i only see the the market and the trajectory going up for olives Stephen, if people wanted to learn more about texas agriculture or the texas olive industry where, what would be a good resource extension horticulture in texas has a website it's aggie horticulture and that's aggie a-g-g-i-e dash horticulture um, and you can you can probably just search that and it will come up that would be one resource we have resources on there for all the typical fruit crops or horticultural crops grown in texas including olives uh, other than that the texas association of olive oil would be one to consider they've got a website now it's kind of a, a producer-led association that's trying to, to again promote research promote branding and marketing uh, share resources and share information um, Outside of that, it, it's kind of going to be grassroots. <laughs> they can call me, of course, and I can uh, maybe try to answer the question or point them in the right direction. But as far as olives um, and as far as a, like an official place to go, uh, those two are, are the main ones right now. Well, Stephen, this has been super fascinating learning about olives in Texas and just Texas agriculture in general. Thanks for being on the podcast and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> You're very welcome. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.